welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it! Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. Hello, everybody at home, and welcome. This is Punch It, writing in Star Trek. I'm your co-host, Tristan Riddell, and with me, as always, is... Charlene Schmidt. Charlene Schmidt, we are doing a continuation this week, and I love our continuations because we get to expound, expand, and evolve on a topic that we started previously, and this one was just started last week, and that is episode 61 of last week, where we rewrote Generations, or at least we started to, and then realized (laughs) that it was taking a ridiculously long time. We kind of hit a couple of stumbling blocks, which happens on occasion in the writing process. And the most fascinating thing to me about that whole thing was, is we gained, I think, a really good understanding of why the writers did what they did. Because when we started taking some components out, all of a sudden we found ourselves with some serious problems we had to fix. And so we're still in like, what, the first 20 minutes of the movie in our rewrite? Pretty much. Yeah, like we haven't even, (laughs) like we just got to the 24th century. Like we just got to act one, you know, after the prologue. And I I hate to bring this up, but I think we ought to backtrack just a little bit as we get started. We never totally figured out who's saving the day on the B instead of Kirk. Okay, so for those of you who, who are just tuning in, please, please, please listen to episode 61. It's a lot of fun. You You hear us kind of rally off and try to talk about what we would do, what we didn't like, and things of that nature. And we talked about the bee and the nexus and and, uh, Guinan and Soren and everything like that. So instead of going into a detailed analysis, what we did was we we agreed that Shatner should not be a star in this film. It should be a glorified cameo. Yep, at the beginning. He gives a speech at Space Dock, not in the ship, at Space Dock. He gives a speech. The bee is christened. He has a nice interaction with Captain Harriman. He has a nice interaction with Sulu. Sulu's daughter, Sulu. Devorah Sulu, yes. Devorah Sulu. Should, we should specify. Yeah, we should specify. And then he does not go onto the beat. He talks about the legacy of the Enterprise, and he talks about going out there, exploring space, you know, encountering new life and new civilizations, that kind of thing. As you do. That's the last we see of Shatner. That's him passing the torch. And maybe, like, I think you suggested last night that we have a captain's log or something like that. Where I did. Okay, I texted you this, and... We had a little bit of a stumbling block where you wanted to infer that the Enterprise B, when it encounters the Nexus, is not in its first mission. Right. And I made the argument on air last week that if you just have a cut, people are going to just automatically jump and say, this is, oh, you're on your first mission. Off we go. So I thought a nice little divider would be 10 seconds of dialogue. Captain's log. Beautiful swooping view of the ship in some colorful nebula. You know how you do on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. First shakedown cruise was a success. Ship and crew are ready to go. We're en route to our first deep space mission. Boom. Cue the Nexus done. And you just crapped all <sighs> over it, sir. You said, that's boring. Well, because I didn't quite wrap my hand r- head around it too terribly much, but now I slept on it. And I was just like, okay, that's totally acceptable because here's the thing. <laughs> that would fix some sort of weird issue that Generations has right off the bat where they just leave the solar system. They just leave the solar system. Uh-huh. And then the the comms officer says, oh, we're the only starship in range. Really? Yes. Of Sol? 
you're the only starship in range of the Federation and Starfleet headquarters? Yes, really? this happens all the time. Why is there nothing protecting Earth, or so it seems? I mean, how many ships are in Starfleet? Five? I mean, what's <laughs> up with this? It's ridiculous. And so if we say we do a, a captain's log where we're well, like our, we're well on our way to our first deep space mission, Boom, it totally explains, oh, why we're the only ship in the in range. Yeah. We don't do that that Tuesday stuff. There's no reporters. And yes. I'd say we have we do it in a way where Captain Harriman and Devorah Sulu save the day. You know who I really want to save the day? I think it ultimately what? does need to go to Demora. Because even though we don't know her that well, she has the name behind it we are attached to her automatically just because she's the daughter of hikaru sulu whom we do know very well now harriman mm -hmm. we barely know the guy i think she's got more pull she's the one who has to save the day does she sacrifice her life i don't know i don't think so because we we ended the scene with gynan knocking out soren because Soren like loses it and like he tries to kill Harriman or he tries to attack some people in Medbay because Harriman and Sulu make their way back to the Medbay. And then Guinan knocks out Soren and that gives them a much more personal connection and maybe Soren can even blame Guinan a little bit more so we can see some emphasis on her character later on in the movie. Now one question we have to address is why are both Harriman and Demora Sulu off the bridge? I mean, is the Enterprise B no longer in danger? Is it out of the way of the Nexus? And so they're trying to deal with the people on the Lakul. Why would they not have other crew members doing that? Like a chief medical officer, for instance. Because it's Star Trek. <laughs> you know, like what? See, we're just kind of doing the, the, the Berman and Braga-esque trap that, that we always do. Is they, I feel like sometimes they don't think these things through. It doesn't make logical sense. After you've watched it a few times, you're like, huh? Okay, here's the thing. Here's what we can do. So Sulu is at navigation. You know, she's at the con. Maybe it has something to do, like the fix that they need in order to get out of the Nexus can have to do with navigation or has to do with the deflector array. And so she's the expert. There, we need something like that. There you go. And so that's why she's the most qualified to go. And Harriman goes because he's like, if, if this ship is going to go down on our first deep space mission, there's something to the effect of, I'm not going to let my ship go down in its Ooh. first deep space mission, so I'm going to join you. Something like that. I, no, I have an idea. Okay, so the immediate crisis is Demora Sulu. She knows whatever she needs to do in deflector control, what have you, to fix the ship. Harriman's still on the bridge at this point. He is there because it's crisis mode. She volunteers to fix it. Okay. She does. Action scene. She texts the tech. And then all is well. When things calm down, then Harriman says, I want to go and meet these people and put them at ease. They are no longer out of danger. I want to do it myself because I'm the captain and I'm that's the kind of person I am. All right. That's better. That's better. So then he goes down and then we cut to the people of, from the Lakul where Soren is just, he's a maniac. Guinan's kind of chasing after him. The chief or the medical staff can't keep up because there's a lot of people moaning and groaning, just like we saw on screen. And so Guinan takes that hyperspray from somebody and then knocks Soren out or something. I don't know. Or a swift punch to the face, whichever yeah. we can do. So then I think that organizes that. That makes sense. And Harriman is there to maybe witness Soren or we at least see him there among the crowd trying to console these uh, inconsolable people. Now, I want to add something that we could use or not use later on. Okay. What if when Devorah is fixing deflector control and the Nexus kind of goes through the ship or hits the ship, 
or something like that, and we see an energy beam kind of wash over Devorah. Oh, so do you want her to ultimately be in the Nexus, kind of like what happened with Kirk? I don't know yet. Okay. Well, let's put that possibility in there in case we want to use it. Let's put a pin on it. So, like, she's there. We don't see her transported. We don't see her leave. Uh Uh-huh. It's just the energy washed over her, and maybe she's a little disoriented. Okay. And so she's not dead either. She's not dead. She's not missing. She's still there. And that's why she makes her way back to the med bay is because she wants to get checked out. And then maybe yeah. Guinan and her share a look. Ooh, mysterious. I like it. And then we can expand on that later on or you and I can erase it at the end of this. <laughs> it's true. The whiteboard is filling up. Yeah. Okay. So now we're officially in the 24th century now. I feel like we can move on. We're officially in the 24th century. You did not want to get rid of... The sailing ship. No. Okay. No. You're still in agreement with that? Uh, fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on then. So we're still there. We're still in the sailing ship. Worf gets his promotion. It's a nice scene. And Data still pushes Beverly over the edge. Right. Literally. Emotion ship stuff, only we're toning it down. We, yeah, we agreed on that, that we were going to tone down the emotion ship stuff. And the, what triggered Data to overload his neural net wasn't something random, wasn't just something wasn't just having emotions it was the loss of Jordy. yes which makes so much more sense and is far less annoying absolutely so one other thing we ought to think about is do we still want picard's family to die i'm glad okay i'm really glad that we're talking about this because i have no idea i think <laughs> it's it's a really nice character building moment for him because he's dealing with loss, and it's it gives the captain something to do other than, you know, Kirk-esque fighting and running around and everything like that. It's it's emotionally inward, which all the best Star Trek movies have is those ca- those captains' journeys that are inside. But the thing is, it just feels odd because we spent time with these characters. And I know that's why it emotionally resonates with us because we know who these characters are. It wasn't just like, oh... My grand aunt that you never met, you know, like we, uh, she died, you know, and everything like that. No, we know these characters. We were invested in these characters. We wanted to see these characters grow up, or at least um, his nephew. So do we want to keep that or do we want to change it or? My argument is to keep them. Okay. They'll die. I don't know if they need to burn in a fire. I always thought that was an unusual cause of death for the 24th century, even if they are limit yeah. living in maybe not quite 24th century standard of living conditions. But even so, even so, that detail aside, I think that them dying really hones in on Picard and the overall theme of the movie, which is cherish what you have because you don't know how long you're going to have it. Embrace the now, time, time, time. That's why I want to keep it. Okay. Yeah, I think that theme is is a good one because it's Kirk and all of his movies so much delves into, am I too old to be doing this? Am I too inflexible? Am I, uh-huh. am I past my prime? And, and Picard never really has that issue. Like he's, he's ready to go. He's still going. Yeah. He's still in his prime and he's still the captain and he doesn't, he's not going to retire and everything like that. But that legacy outside of the ship that's what he's dealing with. And I always thought that was really nice because in that scene, I think I'd want to keep that whole concept just for the scene between him and Troy. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good moment. It's a very emotionally raw moment, which we don't often see out of Picard, but also just a captain just 
tears flowing, vulnerable, heartbroken. It humanizes him. It does. And I love the moment where he talks about how the first Picards to march on Trafalgar and uh, the first Picards to colonize Mars. And he knew that with Rene, you know, like the, the Picard name would live on. And that's what mattered was the name. But it was always so interesting to me because I wanted a bookend where, like, if Troy set Picard up to have him vent about this, about his own mortality and his own name legacy, I would love at the end of the movie for Picard still kind of faltering about his legacy where he's like, I realize I'm, I'm doing good work. And I, re- I might not have any children. This might be the end of Picard's, but I'm still worried about the legacy of the name. I'm real worried about my legacy. And Riker kind of sits him down, not not literally, but figuratively. He kind of sits him down and goes... Maybe he even says Jean-Luc or something like that, where he's like, hmm. Jean-Luc, you have saved Earth countless times. You have had first contact with 52 species. You've done this, you've done this, you've done this, you've done that. Whether you live on or your prodigy lives on, the Picard name is forever immortalized because of you. Hmm. That could be an interesting moment. Yeah. It, that gives that final moment a little bit more teeth, you know, like a, a little bit more emphasis Instead of just saying like, oh, I plan to live on forever and blah, blah, blah. I love that line from Riker, though. I think uh, maybe you could balance it out a little bit where you flesh out that conversation they're having toward the end a little more. But Riker is ensuring Picard, hey, your legacy is safe. Don't you dare even worry about that. The Picard name is going to live on for generations, no matter whether or not there's actually a living being with the name Picard in the universe. And I think it's a it's a great message too for people who don't have children, don't want children, or can't have children. Right. It's not the only way. It's not the only way, and what whatever what matters is what you do in your life and the people you affect. Right. And That's a great message, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I think that would be that would be a great message. Yeah. That I think is maybe what Picard needs to realize front and center, like directly, head on. Maybe that is what how Riker steers it so that that's the clear message. I think so, too. Okay. Well, there we go. All right. Very good. Next. Next. So we're in the 24th century. Do we keep the, the space station? Do we keep the, the Romulans and the Trilithium and everything like that? That's a good question. What do you think about this whole subplot with Lursa and Betor, Soren getting Trilithium weapons to blow up stars? I like it. I like the trilithium. I like the intrigue. I like that we got to see some dead Romulans. I got to see that it was an overall Klingon plot, how it was a surprise. I love that moment where the bird of prey decloaks and we hear them say like, you know, like Captain, you know, bird of prey decloaking off the port bower and he just kind of goes, what? You know, that's such a <laughs> cool moment and such a cool cut and and just the explosion of stars and... It just, I loved it, how it all tied together. And, you know, like it's Star Trek science at work. And I loved all of that. I agree. I think it works. I think for a general movie going audience, you probably know who the Klingons are. And you know that they're kind of the menace, the enemy, if you will. Even if you don't know who Lursa and Bator are. But if you are a Star Trek fan, you know who they are. And you know that they're a little bit of a loose cannon. I think that was put together pretty nicely in terms of Trek lore. The way that they're shown, like, if you've never seen Star Trek before, like, it's, it's it's the same way, like, if you saw Star Wars for the first time and knew nothing about it, you were an alien who just popped into the world. You knew that Darth Vader was the bad guy. The way yeah. that they introduced him and he walked in, the way that he looked and the music that was playing 
we all know that the Klingons are the bad guys in this because of how they're framed and introduced. Yeah, so that works nicely with Soren and his plan because he's not a good guy either. He's a man on a mission. So, okay, let's keep all of that, huh? Mm-hmm. Now, I want to fast forward a little bit since we're talking about the Klingons. Okay. It never sat well with me that a Klingon bird of prey took out a galaxy-class starship. Yes. I don't care if they hacked into Geordi's visor and got the shield frequency. There's got to be more to this to destroy a galaxy-class ship. That just seems so weak. And the first thing, the first thing that Worf would have done is rotated the field modulation. Right? Come on. Worf is smart enough to do this. That's the first thing he would have done. It would have just been like, oh, they found a way to, you know, like uh, to pass through our shields. Well, every single time you encounter the Borg, what's the first thing you do? Right. We know this. He knows this. People give Troy a lot of crap for being the one at the helm while the ship crashes on the planet. Well, what about Worf here? He's the one not doing his job. Seriously. Seriously. So stop giving Troy such crap and get on Worf's case because he's the one who failed here. Yeah, Troy is just an easy target for this. It's become a meme more than anything. It, it is. It's kind of sad. It's not her fault. She was the, she was ordered to take the helm. She did the best she could. I mean, it's a hopeless case no matter who was there. Yeah. So, don't so blame her. what would we what would we have them do? Like, would we keep the whole Jordy thing? Because we gotta give the Jordy capture more meaning than just pushing data over the edge. There's gotta be some nefarious plot behind it. Hmm. Yeah. Because it strikes me that they came up with the whole hacking through his visor scenario, not beforehand, you know, mm -hmm. after they'd gotten him, basically. So yeah. are they going to try and torture him to get inside wanna... information on the Enterprise? I don't like that idea. I don't want to do torture. I don't, I don't want to do torture. Me neither. Ugh. I mean, a lot of it is implied, like he did go through something, but yes. I don't want to see it. I don't want to talk about it, you know? I think there's got to be, like, maybe we could keep that the same, but there's got to be more than just the bird of prey. Like, what if we somehow establish that Lursa and Bator did gain some momentum, where, like, they did gain some followers, they did gain a faction, and it could just be even just a one-handed comment where they say, after Geordi's taken and everything like that, Riker and Picard are talking, and they're like, I guess this is the first we've seen Lursa and Bator ever since they left the Empire and started building their own faction. Uh-huh. You suppose they have some supporters, and maybe it's not just one bird of prey, but three. Right. Yes. So then maybe they use Geordi's visor to hack into various uh, readings of the Enterprise and find out, sort of like in Wrath of Khan fashion, where exactly to hit. Where is the Enterprise most vulnerable? Because these are little bird of preys. They're not that great. But if there's three of them and they fire enough, what can they do to effectually make this happen because i do think we knew we we're we're gonna kill off the d let's just put that out there yeah we have to we have to yeah okay i have an idea i have an idea to make okay. it a little bit more emotionally impactful and a little bit more believable too say that they have multiple ships and the d is holding its own but the thing is they're still passing through the shield they're using geordie's visor for the shields and so they keep passing through and the first thing that Worf thinks of is like let's rotate the field modulation let's yeah. do that and so Worf is talking with Jordy, like, help me out, keep me up, up to date on this. And, like, Jordy's just like, okay, you know, like, help, I'll, you know, like, I'll, I'll make sure it happens on my end, too, or something to that effect. I don't know. They're somehow linked. And so, like, Jordy keeps constantly checking in on it. And the reason why, the way that he's working is it's always in field of view. 
the shield modulation yes. number is always in view. And yes. somehow, for some reason, Jordy figures it out. How he figures it out, I think, is immaterial. He figures it out, rips off his visor, destroys it, and then says, computer, activate tactile interface. I love it. I love it. I love it. And if he's destroying his visor, that maybe was the push he needed to get the little lenses put in for first contact. I love it. That makes so much freaking sense. And it's a better outcome. It's a better scene and it's got more impact. Well done, sir. Thank you very much. It just came to me and I think it flows better. It gives more danger to the D with multiple ships and alleviates Worf from his... uh, It makes him look competent, yes. It makes him look competent, and it it redeems Jordy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then things do happen to a point, though, where maybe there's the coolant leak, and it's oh, too yeah. late, and we have to evacuate the ship. So then we have the dramatic separation. Saucer goes flying into the planet. Data gets his oh shit moment, because I love that. We have to keep that. Oh, it's yeah. one of those comedic elements that really did work, in my opinion. So... Cool, cool, cool. How does Jordy get out? Because he needs to be the person, even though he's blind, he needs to be the last person leaving the star drive. Do we have a cameo from Ashley Judd who guides, like, hey, I'm right here with you. <laughs> that's hilarious. Just to make uh, Chris Jones from Trek FM happy because that's, that's his girl. I, <laughs> I feel like as much fun as that would be, I think it would take away from the moment. You think? Um. To see that face. Yeah, I guess he's he's doing what he has to do. He's feeling around. And he knows the Enterprise engineering so well that he finds the door, does his barrel roll anyway, and gets out. Yes, I want to see that where like he has his hand on the wall and he's running. He like he has his hand on the wall, he has his other hand forward, and he's talking, he's talking, he's talking. And he says he's like, everybody get past me, everybody get past me. He's talking on his communicator with some of his ensigns and everything like that. Like people say, it was like, like, sir, do you need any help? Do you need? Any? He's like, he's right. like, listen, I know this ship. <laughs> yeah, and then like he's the one who kind of who pumps the door and says like, all right, we're clear. Yeah, and, and so then yeah. we ha- see a nice little run. Like he maybe takes a couple steps back and then runs and barrels out just in the nick yeah. of time. Dramatic Jordy moment. Give Jordy as much time as we can because he's never gotten enough love in the movies. It's so true. Okay, so that's really good. So that's that moment. And so I think we keep the crash exactly the same. Yeah. Are we keeping the planet the same? Are we keeping that that as the destination? Yeah, and I think so. And I think we've, we also keep all of the Soren stuff. He's destroying stars okay. to move the Nexus where he needs it to go. He's, you know, over the last 60 or whatever years it's been. Well, it's been more than that. But anyway... uh. He's been using the last few decades to come up with this plan just in the right spot at the right moment, blah, 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 blah. And he'll be damned if he misses his date with destiny. So let's rewind time a little bit. We're on the D. Yeah. It's after the observatory. Soren is on the ship. We have to have our moment with Guinan. We have to have our moment with Guinan. Yeah. I think we can keep it about the same. And instead of having, having Guinan just feel Soren, maybe she actually goes and interacts with him where they have a moment, what does that moment look like? Well, first word that came to my mind is tense. (laughs) It's not going to be comfortable. Guinan, I have a feeling, is going to want to know why he's there. Mm -hmm. What sort of cover story is Soren going to give her? How is he going to try and de-escalate this situation? Because I think as Elorians, 
they both know that he's up to no good. I don't think he tries to de-escalate it at all. I think he's mm. awkwardly professional. He's awkwardly calm. Okay, that does make more sense. You're right. I think that would be the Olorian in him, is that they have the conversation and it's super tense. And we, we saw what happened before. This is before we know the true nature of the Nexus. And so they're speaking in terms that we don't understand yet. That would be good. And so it's kind of a mysterious to the audience. And maybe this is, this is after he has this conversation with Picard. And then Guinan walks up to him and she says, like, what are you doing here? He said, he's like, well, you know why I'm here. And she's like, no, I don't know why you're here. And he says, he's like, the reason why I'm here is because of you. And she says, you're here to see me. She's, he's like, why on earth would I want to see you? And, or something along those lines. I don't know if it necessarily needs to be about her, even though there is a lot of resentment there. And we can make that clear in this scene. But I think it's just very pronounced between the two of them that she knows that he is still on a mad mission to get mm -hmm. back into the Nexus. All this time, he's never stopped, and she knows that that's dangerous. So I think somewhere in that conversation, she says something maybe to the effect of, you haven't stopped all this time, have you? Or something yeah. like that. And he's just, time is the fire in which we burn. <laughs> so all that happens in this conversation is that it's tense. We get very little information. We just know that there's bad blood and that he's yeah. up to no good and that he's truly the bad guy of the situation, not the victim. We learn that early on. I think all we need to learn is that Guinan does not trust him whatsoever. They obviously have a past. And then you connect it when you have the scene later between Guinan and Picard where she's telling him about the Nexus. Yes, and I think we keep that exactly the same. Agreed. Because that was a beautiful scene with Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, I don't think we need to change a thing. That's good. So, moving that forward, stellar cartography where they're figuring out the energy ribbon. I want to keep it. Totally cool. Same here. Love it. Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. And we can even love have that the, the data where he's really trying to deal with his emotions. Picard has to talk him up a little bit, mm -hmm. make him feel like it's not his fault, that sort of thing. Yeah, and it's also, you know, Picard's really just talking about himself. <laughs> yes, you know, when he, yes. When he's talking to data. Yeah, yeah, as the audience will know that. That'll be very good. That's when he goes and Picard talks with Guinan. But why does Guinan not immediately go to Picard? Or, okay, wait, 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 okay. Let's do this, where as soon as Soren leaves 10 forward, Guinan con tries to contact Picard and says, like, I need to speak with you. He's like, I'll get to you as soon as I can. Yeah. And then we go to stellar cartography. Perfect. Good, good, good. That's all we need. And then that's when, that's when they do the whole scene where they figure out, you know, where Soren was. And actually, wait. Yeah. Oh, wait. That actually... Actually, we're reorganizing some things here because the scene with Guinan and Picard takes place after Geordi leaves. Or is taken. Oh. Because what happens is, is that there's the 10 forward conversation, then Jordy gets taken, and then Riker and Beverly are researching Soren. They find out that, that Guinan was on the B. Yeah. And then Picard goes talks, talks with Guinan. And then Picard goes to Stellar Cartography. Well, we can reorganize that. I think that works. I think, that's, I think yeah. we can. Yeah, I don't see any problem with that. Yeah, I think what happens is is that like Picard blows off Guinan to his own failure. He blows off Guinan because he's too busy. He doesn't know how important this is. Right. And then that's when Geordi uh, gets taken. They have the whole event. And then he goes to stellar cartography. They try to figure out why, what happened. And then that's how... Wait, I don't know if that works. I think, I think, I think 
I think we're getting into minutiae here. I don't think the audience will really care. So <laughs> yeah, we don't need to actually write this out ad by act uh, yeah. on paper yet. So I, I think what we're doing is fine. We're we're doing yeah. more of the broad strokes as we tend to go, rather than all the details. Right. Although we're okay. a little more detailed than usual with this one. We are. We're like we're we're burning through our time here. But it's we are. uh so okay. So everything proceeds like normal. And Picard they do the whole thing where they exchange for Picard, he goes down to the to the planet, Soren is there, they have that conversation, they get swept up into the Nexus. What happens in the Nexus? What does it look different? Is it something unique? Is it is it something more than just your own personal paradise and you don't know that you're there. Is there mm. something, do we put our own spin on it? Do we want to make the Nexus more dangerous somehow? As in it sucks, like because maybe Soren is such a madman over getting back in here, not only is it just this nice eternity where you can have anything you want, be whatever you want, but does it do something to you? Does it fundamentally change something about you the longer you're in it? Or, I mean, th that just seems way too close to the truth. That's not that much of a change is what I'm saying. <laughs> what if what if it was something a little bit more like the show where instead of just having a, a paradise for no reason that's just floating around in space, what if it was something along the lines of the caretaker where it's an entity that collects people and things for the sake of collecting experiences? And so they're reward for an eternity of talking with you and getting your lifetime experiences is a paradise of your choosing hmm. and it's somehow picard figures this out or it's presented to us in a very plain manner most people will say like oh yeah sure i mean like i'm in paradise of course i'm gonna stay picard being picard he's the diplomat he talks with these beings who are controlling the nexus and he says he's like i need to get out of here my my ship, my crew, and people's lives are in danger. Yeah. And this madman has been using this rift in order for his own purposes. And they say something like to the effect of, this is the first time anyone has ever asked to leave the Nexus. Hmm. How do you feel about that? I'm intrigued. It's definitely different. And it's, it's an interesting cross, actually, between the caretaker and those aliens on Voyager with the creepy pleasure guy, where they, yes. you know, their lifeblood was exchanging stories. I don't know. I kind of like the abstractness of the Nexus, where okay. you're just suddenly drawn in and you have anything your imagination can think of in a way that takes away from that. But to the detriment of the story, I'm not sure. This might be better. This might be worse. Okay, let's see if we can expound on the abstract. Can we give the, I know this is kind of contradictory, but can we give the abstract more meaning? Because it feels like just this weird plot device. Well, it is. You're not wrong. No. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, we could, we could explore this, um, but how? Because really, it's the echo that's left of Guinan telling him what this is and how to get out of there. Now, okay, here's the thing. Here's something that we absolutely 100% need to change. If we keep the guy in an echo, uh -huh. we cannot have her say, you can leave anywhere, anytime. I agree. That's too easy. Because if he could leave anywhere, anytime, then all he would have to do is go back to the D at the observatory and say, Sauron, you're an evil guy, and so I'm going to throw you in prison. Yeah, would you not have gone back further to prevent a lot of things from happening? Yeah, I think if he chooses to leave the Nexus, he 
gets out the moment he went in. I think that's the thing is that like we could make it malleable a little bit saying like you could leave any time, but it, it can only be from your entry point. Right. Like your physical linear time. Yeah. 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 You could go back, you know, a century after you left. You could go a century before you left. You could go an hour before you left, you know, like it, it, anything like that. And so that gives a rationale to Picard, like saying, okay, well, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to show up like an hour before, like 30 minutes before the launch so that I have enough time to actually stop Soren. Okay. And since we don't have the whole thing of Kirk coming with him in the, from the Nexus, it's just man-on-man, hand-to-hand combat. Picard's not going to look weak. He's got to step up and defeat Soren himself. Now, this is that time when I'm going to ask that question. <laughs> Do we involve Sulu in this at all? Is there a point? Yeah. You know, it would be kind of fun to have them interact in the Nexus. Maybe that would be the way to show off the Nexus a little bit of you can meet people from any time, any place, anybody who has Mm -hmm. been touched by the Nexus. And maybe for a short while, Picard is intrigued by this. Yeah. And I don't know if we want to do the whole thing where he has a family or not, but we can maybe instead of having a whole long drawn out scene and he's got some weird Victorian family thing going on, it's like, well, you never had a family. You could you could have the family here. Or you could do this, or you could do this. It's just like a little blip. But how does he figure that out? Who tells him that? Is it Demora or Guinan? But how do they know it? Because they're in the Nexus, they figured it out. How did they figure it out? This is circular. (laughs) Because they are the Nexus. They're the way that the Nexus is communicating to Picard. I don't know. Um, am I totally? Oh, okay. Full then of that it? goes back to no. That goes back to what I'm talking about. Like, so when he sees Guinan, maybe he sees Guinan and he sees Sulu, but it's not really Guinan and Sulu. It's kind of like Cisco and the wormhole aliens. Like they're talking through people he knows, and that's it. like we're going back to my whole alien thing. <laughs> we don't have to. No, no, that's fine. Do it. I feel like if we go down that route, what if he gets a little distracted at first? Where Maybe we start with the whole Victorian family, but then he feels like this isn't right, and that's when Guinan comes in, and maybe even Sulu comes in, and then they talk about the rules, saying, like, you can interact with anybody. You can interact with me, you can interact with Guinan, or you can leave, and that's when we talk about the purpose of the Nexus, like, if there is one. Sure, sure. No, I like that. But then, if that's the case, we don't need Sulu. We don't need Sulu if we have Guinan. We don't. It, it would be fun, though, maybe, just to have her there for the blink of an eye, just to show she was touched by the Nexus. I don't know. We, I don't know. We don't have to have that, but it might yeah. be a nice little interconnector, you know, generations. I, yeah, I still, I don't know. I still feel like, I guess maybe, I think we'll have to, we'll have to hold on to that because. Maybe we leave that up to the listeners. Quick poll here, guys. Demora Sulu, yay or nay? I Actually, I would make it larger. A quick poll to the to the listeners. What's the purpose of the Nexus? Let's leave it up to you guys. Mm. We're, we're keeping every, like we've explained everything else in the film. <laughs> and we've gone through every single moment and kind of out of order. But do is there a purpose to the Nexus? Do we keep like, yeah. is it just paradise? Are there aliens running it? Is it is it like a Q situation? Does it have a purpose? Maybe Does it's just it this thing floating around, you know, just screwing with people. And do we have Sulu or not? 
what they can do is you guys can go to the nerdparty.com slash contact, select punch it from the drop down menu, fill out the form, it'll send us an email. And if we get enough ideas, maybe we'll read multiple ones or we'll pick our favorite one depending on how many we get. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the nerd party or Twitter at join nerd party. You can also find us on Instagram at the nerd party. And so please everyone write in, let us know what you think and uh, let us know what you think of our rewrite and uh, about the Nexus in general. Yeah, let us know, and then we'll kind of carry this over into next week because we're on a very tight time budget for this week. We're going to have to have a little epilogue next time, but we're not going to do just that. We'll have another topic once we finish this out a little more thoroughly, and no matter what it is, it's going to get so punched. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.